Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. So we are in the book of Numbers and uh, getting close to finishing out this book. Let's see. Yeah, 36 chapters and we're picking up in chapter 30 tonight. So we're getting really close. Um, I'm going to attempt to do three chapters. The third, which would be chapter 33 for us tonight. It's kind of like a captain's log book and he lists out, I counted them if I counted correctly, 41 different places they stayed over the 40 years in the wilderness. And so I'm choosing not to read that long section of Scripture. So chapter 33, kind of a review in much of that chapter, but uh, a lot of it we're just going to pass over. Even if I attempted to read all the places where they camped, I'd probably destroy all the different names that they had, and so I'll just forego that. We'll see if we get there tonight. But we pick up in Numbers chapter 31, and I picked out a key verse from this chapter, and this is really uh, something that bothers a lot of people when they read the Old Testament and they see the wars of the Old Testament and they see how God brought judgment through Israel to the different nations in the promised land. Technically, they're not in the promised land, but God is bringing judgment against the kings of Midian. And uh, they list out in verse 8, a very key verse, and they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Akim, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, was also killed with the sword. So I I picked that as a key verse because the reason for the battle is because of the interaction that Balaam had with Midian that caused Israel to sin against the Lord and God to judge Israel. God now judges Midian, and we discover that Balaam, who was not a Midianite, continued to dwell with them and was actually died with them. And so chapter 31, we have the last official duty of Moses. Before he was gathered to his people, Moses was to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. We'll read that in verse 3. For causing the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord at the incident of Peor. So we read in verses 1 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterwards, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. So 12,000 in all. So they were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against Midian, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian. With the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechim, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones, and they took spoil of all their cattle, their flock, and all their goods. And they also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt. 
and all their forts, and they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. So we have to go back to Numbers 22 through 25 to learn of the great links that Barak, at that time, Barak, the king of Moab, took in hiring Balaam to try to persuade God to curse his chosen and blessed people, Israel. Balaam was commanded by God not to curse Israel, and technically he never did. Yet through his counsel to Barak, he caused Israel to fall into sin. And as a result, God destroyed 24,000 Israelis with a plague. The plague stopped after Phinehas, the son of, of Eliezer, or the son of Aaron, the high priest. I put Israel in my notes. But uh, the son of Phinehas, the son of Aaron, the high priest, Eliezer, at the time, zealously fought for Yahweh on that day. And Yahweh called for Phinehas to lead Israel, the 12,000 men, to war against Midian. And he was to take with him the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hands. So he, he led back forth the priest, the high priest's son, Eliezer, at the time. Aaron had already passed away by this time. His son, Eliezer, now the high priest, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, who was zealous for the Lord when the 24,000 of Israel died. And he fought for the Lord that day. God said that he would always remember Phinehas for that. He stopped what God had brought judgment against Israel. And we read about this in Psalms 106 as they review this history again in Psalm 106, 28 through 31. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor, and they ate sacrifices to the dead. Thus Israel provoked God to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. So the thing is, is that even as I was reading these first 11 verses, Moab was never part of the promised land. They lived outside of the promised land. And so they were never originally targeted by God for judgment. But because they came to war against Israel and actually ultimately caused Israel to sin, God judged the Moabites. So their campaign, though, against Moab would kind of mimic what would take place when Israel would enter into the promised land, how God would judge the people of the land, the nations there in the land that God had told Abraham some 600 years before God made a covenant with Abraham telling of his descendants going down to Egypt for 400 years and they're coming out of the land with great possessions to return to the promised land. And God said to Abraham in Genesis 15:16, but in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So yes, God will bring judgment on the nations. We read about that happening with Moab in our first 11 verses. He would bring judgment upon the nations in the promised land proper as well. But in Genesis 15:16, we learn that God actually waited 400 years. He was allowing the iniquity of the Amorites to kind of build up until God finally said, all right, that's it. You're getting judged. I'm going to use Israel to do it. But God patiently waited over 400 years, and then judgment came. There's a lot that can happen in 400 years in a nation. Think about us here in the United States. Technically not the United States for 400 years, but back in 1621, we do have the pilgrims coming ashore there at Plymouth Rock in that area to set up a community and the birth of our nation at that place, taking 
forth, but a lot of generations had passed over the last 400 years. And it seems right now that the iniquity of the United States, it continues to build up. We see the iniquity. But also, in that same time, there is God's grace. Though our nation may be headed down a path that seems to be separating itself from the Lord God, who was part, I believe, part of the founding of this nation. Within the nation, there are those who truly love God, love Jesus, and uh, strive to walk in His way. And so God's grace is there, still working, even though iniquity of our nation might be growing, God is still working. So the warriors return victoriously, 12 through 24, and they brought the captives, the booty, the spoil, to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eliezer the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands, the captains over hundreds, who had come from the battle. Moses said to them, verse 15, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord at the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones. Kill every woman who has known a man intimately, but keep alive for yourself the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves, your captives on the third day and the seventh. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, every woven of goat's hair, everything woven of goat's hair, everything made of wood, and then Eliezer the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure the fire, you shall Put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. Afterwards, you may come into the camp. So they returned from battle. They couldn't immediately, uh, no big ticker parade down New York City with all the soldiers coming home from war. They had been in battle. They had killed. They had touched the dead, the slain, and they were considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. And so they had this purification process that they would have to go through as soldiers. And also those who they had taken captive would have to go through the same purification process. And also the items that they brought with them from the enemy, items of gold, silver, bronze, whatever it might be, of leather, of wood, Uh, they would have to be purified. But notice the willingness of the children of Israel, the soldiers, to spare the Midianite women. Moses was quick to point out to them, these are the women that brought a plague upon our nation. Their why they actually ended up going to war against Midian and they brought them with them. So Moses commanded, and I know this seems very harsh, but all the boys should be killed. This was how warfare ultimately used to be. And in all honesty, we still hear of these things even to this day. Uh, We hear of it in perhaps in places like Africa. Think of Russia and Ukraine right now, other wars that are going on. Maybe it's the cartels warring against people there in Mexico where maybe a whole family is wiped out and only one 
son remains or one daughter remains and they grow up with vengeance in their heart and they plot and they plan and they train and they end up becoming trouble for the nation who had brought destruction upon their family's life or their nation. And so this was to prevent these young boys from growing up to become future soldiers who would war against Israel. They also killed the women who were sexually active, the women who had caused Israel to sin against the Lord, and those, no doubt, who had already sinned against the Lord with these women. 24,000 died in a plague, so we can assume that many of those who had sinned with the women had already died and been judged by God. But the virgins, they kept alive. And they went through this cleansing process. On the third day, on the seventh day, there was the washing. There was the uh, washing of the spoils of war, the clothes, the leather, the skin, the wood being cleansed with water, precious metals passing through the fire. And I'm assuming when they're talking about passing through the fire, Oftentimes, this meant a lot of this stuff was just simply melted down. But the above requirements, as drastic as they may seem, it was to ensure purity before God among the children of Israel. And I'm not suggesting that we, and nor does the Lord call us to do such things today. But sometimes it is necessary for us to break off relationships to keep us from falling into sin against God. Paul tells us to put off the old man, the lifestyle that we might put on a new man. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So sometimes there is the necessary separation. Now we're not to be of this world, but we live in this world. And we are to be witnesses for Christ in the world that we find ourselves in. And so it's not that we are to isolate ourselves but we need to find that balance of being in the world, but not of the world. We need to know those boundaries that we cannot pass, boundaries that would cause us to fall into sin. So 25 through 31, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast, you and Eliezer the priest, the chief fathers of the congregation, Divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war and everyone who went to battle and all the congregation. And they levied a tribute for the Lord of the men who went to war and went out to battle, one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkey, the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 down, drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, from all the livestock, and give it to the Levites, who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer, the priests, did as the Lord commanded them. So 12,000 soldiers, they received half the spoils, and they were levied a tax, we might say, an offering, but it was forced of one of every 500 of the persons, cattle, donkey, or sheep. Those offerings went to Eliezer, the high priest, his descendants. But the people's half of the spoil, they had a higher tax levied against them, one of every 50, whether a person, a cattle, donkey, or sheep. Of all the livestock, one of every 50, those went to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So technically, we always talk about the 12 tribes of Israel. There were 13, always operating and functioning. But the Levites took care of the tabernacle. The Levites served the priests. The Levites 
would one day take care of the temple. So the Levites were not included in this battle, but an offering came to them to provide for them and their people. So of the plunder, verses 32 through 47, I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to total the numbers for you. There was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, totaling of animals, 808,000 animals. As for the virgins that remained alive, there were 32,000. So it was really, uh, you know, they killed the women who uh, were not virgins. They killed the young boys. But think about that. There could have been 100,000 or more that had returned with them. But they were their numbers down to 32,000. Of these numbers, Eliezer and the Levites received a portion of the spoils. The soldiers' portion went to Eliezer and the people's portion going to the Levites who served the priest. Then, 48 through 54 brings us to the close of this chapter. Then the officers who were over thousands of the army, the captains of thousands, the captains of hundreds came near to Moses. Verse 49, they said to Moses, your servants have taken count of the men of war who are under our command and not a man of us is missing. Therefore, we have brought an offering for the Lord. What every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets, bracelets, Signet rings, earrings, necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer, the priests, received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, was 16,750 shekels. So that adds up to about 420 pounds of gold. I should have looked up the price of gold. I know it's in the 2000s, but per ounce, and this is talking per pound. So 16 ounces to a pound. uh, This was a great expense. Verse 53, the men of war had taken spoil from every man for himself. In 54, and Moses and Eliezer received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds, brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. So the officers, the captains, being grateful that not a man was lost in battle, gave a free will offering to the Lord. Remember, an offering had already been um, exercised from them of everything that they had received, the plunder that they had divided up, one of every 500 of whatever they received. So an offering had already went to Eliezer, but this offering was a free will offering that was given to the Lord. And therefore, it remained at the tabernacle of the Lord as a memorial before him. So not a man was lost. Later on in Joshua 23.10, Joshua would talk about how the Lord fought for Israel when they entered the promised land. Joshua 23.10 One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. May we never forget that in this life, the battle belongs to the Lord. And the Lord our God has fought for us. He did so by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to rage a war that we cannot fight on our own. He paid the price that... We cannot pay through his death on the cross that we might walk in fellowship with him. So we come to Numbers 32. And we have Moses. We begin in the verse 15 verses here. And I'm covering a lot of texts to kind of move us through these things. But In these first 15 verses, we have the tribe of Reuben, of Gad, and a half-tribe of Manasseh wanting to settle outside the promised land 
proper. And Moses feared that they were only going to repeat Israel's past sins. When Israel 40 years earlier refused to enter into the promised land. So he gave a warning, a key verse for us is Numbers 32:23. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. That part, your sin will find you out, is kind of a proverbial saying now in the English language. Now we know the source of that coming from Numbers 32. The first 15 verses, we begin reading, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. When they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, and the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ha! Here's some of those names. I'll get through it, but just stay with me. Saying, Ataroth, Daban, Jazer, Nibrah, Eshban, Elilah, Shebam, Nebo, and Beon, of the country of the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, is the land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea, to see the land. And when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day. He swore an oath saying, Surely none of these men who came up from Egypt of the 20 years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they have not wholly followed me except Caleb, the son of Jephthah, I don't even know how to say that, the Kinzanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. I'm going to have to learn Caleb's father's name because I'm going to read him again later on. So we'll get that one down. So of Caleb and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all that generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the face, fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. So they haven't mentioned the half-tribe of Manasseh yet, but they have mentioned the tribes of Gad and Reuben. And because the area of the Midianites, the kings of, and we'll read this later on, but the Sion, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, whom they had already defeated, the land was on the east side of the Jordan River, technically not part of the promised land, but it was a highland. Uh, it was a foothills of the mountains, we might say, uh, going up to about 2,000 feet, and there was plenty of rainfall. It was good for flocks and herds, and their request may have seemed reasonable. They had livestock. The land was good for livestock. Why don't we just stay here? But Moses reviewed their quest, request as sin. Because 38 years earlier, 10 of the 12 spies convinced the children of Israel not to enter into the promised land. And now two and a half tribes. They, they had 10 people convince a whole nation not to follow the plan of God. And now you have two and a half tribes 
Moses foresaw that this could be very damaging. In fact, the closing words are, I think, significant. He will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all this people. He was putting the sin on these two and a half tribes. You're the ones who will cause this destruction. Now we'll learn that this was not totally on their hearts and they will be able to occupy this land. But Moses was concerned that this would bring trouble. He was afraid that they were attempting to repeat their father's sin. So chapter 32, verse 16 through 27, they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock, cities for our little ones, but ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them into their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. So basically, we'll build up this region, we'll make it safe for our family, but we'll go to battle before our brothers and sisters. Verse 18, we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen on us on the eastern side of the Jordan. Verse 20, and Moses said, If you will do this thing, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemy from before him, the land is subdued before the Lord. Then afterwards you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this is the land, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones, and folds for your sheep, and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, all of our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So given permission to build up, to prepare their homeland on the east side or the, yeah, the east side of the Jordan River. But the men of war would enter into the promised land. When it was time to go to the war, the men of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they would go in and help their brothers inherit the promised land. And they pledged not to return to their own inheritance until every one of them received their inheritance. Now we know as we get into the book of Judges and we get into uh, Joshua, that, and we even read this on Sunday morning when I talked about little by little from the book of Exodus, they didn't inherit all the land all at once because they didn't have enough people to occupy the promised land. So little by little, God allowed them to occupy the land. But on the initial stage of war, these men would go with their brothers. And they did so. In fact, Joshua 4, 12 through 14, tells us that the men of Reuben, of Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, crossed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken. And in verse 13, Joshua 4:13, about 40,000 prepared for war, crossed over before the Lord for battle in the plains of Jericho. So it's a pretty large number. Moses agreed then to the conditions, but he warned them, if they failed to live up to what they had said, be sure your sin will find you out. So this is a powerful statement that should resonate in our hearts, that there are consequences that go against the law of God. And although others may not be aware of our sins, Yahweh sees, Yahweh knows. 
Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. And when we find ourselves laden with sin, repentance is the best thing that we can do. As David did after he had sinned with Bathsheba, after he had had Uriah put in the heat of the battle that he would be killed. We read in Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity of my sin, Selah. So in Psalm 32, verse 5, we have this Psalm of David when he talks about his confession. But we know in the account of David from 2 Samuel, it took a while for David to confess that sin. In fact, it took a prophet to kind of prod the confession, confession out of him. But once he confessed, Nathan said to David, and the Lord has forgiven your sin. It was immediate. All God was doing was waiting for the confession. So when we find ourselves overladen with sin, repentance is the best thing that we can do. 28 through 42, so Moses gave command concerning, uh, concerning them to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, and you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, and they shall have possession among you in the land of Canaan. So if they didn't go, then they had to go. Does that make sense? If they didn't go, then they could not possess the land outside of the promised land proper. They would have to go with their brethren and be part of the promised land proper. If they do not, verse 30, I'll read it again. Do not cross over armed with you. They shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered and said, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan. But the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. Verse 33, So Moses gave to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Shion, king of the Amorites, and of kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land and all of its cities within its borders, and the cities of the surrounding country. And the children of Gad built Debon and Atroth and Arior, Atroth and Shaphan and Jazer and Jagabah, Beth, Nira, Beth Haran, fortified cities, and folds for their sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Eliah and Kirjathram, Nebo and Baal, Mion, and changed their names to, they changed their names, but it's not a better name to me. But anyways, Shibma, and they gave their names of the cities which they built. The children of Micah, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it. And he dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machar and the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. And so Ja'ar, the son of Manasseh, went and took the small towns and called it Havath Ja'ar. And Naboth went and took Kinath and its villages and called it Neba after his own name. So 33 through 42, it's a summary of the work of the two and a half tribes did as they fought alongside their brother after they came back. Ultimately, they didn't do all this all at once. It took time to possess all these cities. But in this generation, it appears that some of the leading men did take possession and they began the conquest there on what is called Transjordan, the other side of the Jordan River. 
Here's the thing. This always interested me about this. Spiritually, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh would never cross over the Jordan with their families, with their children. They would never experience the mighty works of God beyond the wilderness stage because they became satisfied with the best that the wilderness had to offer. They never properly entered into the promised land. Oh, they went and they fought with their brothers, alongside their brothers, but they returned to their inheritance was actually outside of the promised land proper. And I believe we can often fall in the same category of being satisfied with the best that the wilderness or the world has to offer without entering into the blessings of all that God would have for us. And to live in such a state is really a sad place to be. Also, we know historically some of the first nations to fall to the Assyrians was the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They had separated themselves from the northern kingdom, so much so that they were easy pickings for the enemy. May it be that we would be satisfied with Christ and Christ alone. So chapter 33, it's kind of like a captain's logbook, so shouldn't be too long in this chapter, but we're going to read a few of the verses. It really recounts the movements of the children of Israel over the past 40 years. In the first four verses, it says, These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys and at the command of the Lord. And these are the journeys recorded in their starting point. They departed from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first first month on the day after the Passover of the children of Israel, when they went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians for the enemies For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgment. So he's recounting back in Exodus chapters 12 and 13, when Israel went out in chapter 12, explaining what Passover was to be about. And then the uh, death angel coming in, killing all the firstborn, in the land of Egypt, of those who did not have the blood painted over the lintel and doorposts of their homes. And while the Egyptians were burying their dead, Israel went out of Egypt. In fact, the Egyptians invited them at the time to leave. Please go, and here's some gold and treasure if you'll just get out. But here's something that is... God brought judgment against the Egyptians for their extreme cruelty against the children of Israel for 400 years. But also, Numbers 33, verse 4, also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgment. God was letting the world know that he is... God, creator of the whole earth. And he brought judgment against Egypt's gods. When Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, met Moses in the wilderness, he said in Exodus 18.11, Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Because how God judged the Egyptians and judged the Egyptians' gods. Jethro testified, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. When the two spies were sent by Joshua to go spy out Jericho, Rahab, the prostitute, said to the spies as she hid them, but she said of her people there at Jericho, Joshua 2, 10 through 12. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. 
and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, now the waters of Egypt being dried up, that was 40 years earlier. But Rahab said, as soon as we heard of these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any one because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. God brought judgment against the Egyptians, but also against Egypt's gods. And people 40 years later knew that the Lord God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So from verses 5 through 49, I've already tripped up on enough Hebrew words tonight. So chapter 33, 5 through 49, you can count them if you like. I may be off by one, but I counted 41 different campsites where they stayed in the wilderness. This isn't a complete list. Uh, we can go to Numbers 23 or Numbers chapter 21 and read of some other areas where they stayed. Not a complete list, but it does show us that they went out at the commandment of God and they settled where God was leading them. And so we learn in, in also in verses verse 38 that Aaron died in the fifth month of the 40th year after they came out of Egypt. So it kind of helps us give a timeline to the event, these events. And then 50 through 56 to close this out tonight. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plain of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed over Jordan into the, prom into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molten images, demolish all their high places, and you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families to the larger you shall give a larger inheritance to the smaller. You shall give a smaller inheritance. So the larger tribes versus the smaller tribes. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it will be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So if you don't drive them out, then you're going to be driven out. And as we go through Israel's history, we learn that they didn't drive them out that the people of the land did become irritants to their eyes. They became like thorns to their sides. They continued to harass them. In fact, that would happen for about 400 years until David became king. And they for the most part during the reigns of David and Solomon, they possessed the promised land proper of what we know it today. And they even went beyond that. They had outposts in Damascus, so they went beyond the promised land proper. But it would take like 400 years for God to send a, a godly man to lead the children of Israel in this way. In Psalm 106, 34 through 36, it said, They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. And they served their idols, and which became a snare to them. So the same can be true in our Christian walk. If we fail to realize the importance of driving out completely the old life prior to Jesus Christ, 
If we fail to do this, our old ways will always be there. They'll be irritants, thorns, persisting to harass us as we try to live for Christ. We need to realize that we cannot do this Christian life on our own. Just as Israel needed God's help to drive out the children of Israel, to drive out the inhabitants of the promised land, I should say. Israel needed God's help to drive out the inhabitants of the promised land. So too do we need the help of the Holy Spirit to put off the old man in order that we might put on the new. Colossians 3, 8 through 10, it says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another ever since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, who is renewed. This, in the Greek, it's a present tense verb that might be translated, is being renewed. This new man, you are being renewed. Second Corinthians 4.16 Therefore, if we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And although we can't always see it, God is at work renewing the old man, the old woman, by conforming us into the glorious image of Christ. And it's by putting on the new man, the new woman. For us, it's all guys here, so I'll say new man. Somebody's watching on the video, ladies, the new woman. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. And Father, let that be our desire. Lord, that we would strive to walk in your ways. And I know, Lord, that we fail. But you have not only saved us, redeemed us through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, you have given us your Holy Spirit that we can live victorious lives. So when we fail, Lord, may we cry out to you to wash us, renew us, to lift us up, to help us to put away the old that we might walk in the new. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.